Well, good morning, family. Well, let's dig into the Scriptures this morning. I encourage you to take your Bibles, open to the book of Genesis in chapter 2 this morning. What is a family? I, uh, I looked it up in the, on the Merriam-Webster online dictionary, and uh, I was actually surprised. The, the definition there was the family. It's called the basic unit in society traditionally consisting of two parents rearing their children. They actually describe the nuclear, the traditional family. It's different than what I read in other things over this past week. I read considerable number of articles about family in various, from various sources. One of those articles started off by saying this. They said, uh, family structure has changed dramatically over the last 50 years. The Leave it to Beaver family, for those of you under 40, Leave it to Beaver was a sitcom on TV back then about a nuclear traditional family. Anyway, the Leave it to Beaver family is no longer the standard and several variations of the family have been created. The article went on to describe six different types of family structures uh, the nuclear family, the single parent family, the extended family, the childless family, the step or blended family, and the grandparent family. And then it ended, that article ended with this comment. There is no right or wrong answer when it comes to what is the best type of family structure. As long as a family is filled with love and support for one another, it tends to be successful and thrive. Families need to do what is best for each other and themselves. And that can be achieved in almost any unit. I read another article from Psychology Today entitled, One Parent Can Do Just As Good a Job As Two, Women Say. Actually, the whole article was summarized in the title. According to a study that was conducted by Family Story, the article went on to say, 70% of people surveyed think that a single-parent family can do just as good a job in parenting as two parents. And so the Family Stories director commented, the family is always evolving. And what we are seeing in this survey, in part, reflects women's liberation from one narrow path. That is a good thing. Well, families are changing Different family models, however, are not new. Living in a world that has been broken by sin and by death, different family models have often, all too often been necessary as people scramble to find some way to care for children and elderly because of death, because of poverty, because of divorce and abandonment and violence and wars. And even in the midst of some of these different settings, there are children who thrive. But the big change in our day, in our time, is not that there are different models of families out there, but that today, less than one half of children growing up in the United States of America today, less than a half of them live with both parents married to each other. In other words, live in what is a traditional or a nuclear family. 
And what is also different is that in our day, there are many voices that are celebrating that reality and saying that it's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing because there isn't an ideal or a best family model. If we are creatures of chance, if we are here by the random result of millions of years of mutations and natural selection, then indeed the definition and the model of family is up for grabs. And it can be, and we may choose, any model that we like or that we think works best. On the other hand, if we are creatures of design, if we are the handiwork of an almighty God, then we are foolish not to listen to what He says about family. How family is supposed to function. What a family is. If God is Creator... And we believe He is, and that's been the focus of this whole series, is looking in the Word of God as God is the Creator of all that is and all that we are. And if God is Creator, by definition, He sets the rules. The real issue then is not what other people think about family, or it's not what other people feel, or it's not about what other people like. It comes down to what does the Creator say? The text before us this morning here in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 is just one verse. And it's actually going to take us two weeks to cover it. This one verse, normally when we come to this verse in Scripture, we look at it and we, and we study it and we apply it in the context of marriage in which it has a lot to say about. And we're going to talk about that next week. But this week we're going to look at this verse through the lens of family and discover that it has much to say about that as well. So Genesis 2.24, to most of you it's not a verse that you've never heard before, but I hope that we'll see some perhaps new things this morning. Therefore, follow along in your text if you have your Bible open. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's extremely significant that here, immediately after the verses before where God creates man and woman, immediately following that, the very next thing that God does is set before us His design for marriage and family. What that tells us is how important this is, how significant this is, how foundational this is, what a priority this information is, how important the family is. So I want us to note just from this this verse five things this morning about God's design for family. First thing I notice from this verse as I look at family is that family begins with a man and a woman. Now, there are three reasons I know this. First of all, the verse begins with the word, therefore, or if you're reading in the New International Version or the New American Standard, it begins with the words, for this reason. 
And what that does is it sends us to the verses that go before this, that come before this. Verses that we looked at last week. Pastor Aaron led us through a wonderful study of the verses before this where God creates man and woman. He creates gender, male and female. Binary, by the way, if you need to know that. There are two genders, men and woman. He says, therefore... Because of what just came before that, family begins with one of each. I know that as well, just because of that. But as we go on, it says a man will leave his father and mother. Family begins with a father and a mother. And that father and mother are called father and mother because they have a child. That's the third reason I know that this is a man and a woman. Because as we, as Pastor Aaron pointed out last week as well, There is no other way to get a human child except from a human father and a human mother. Biologically, to reproduce, to make a human, it requires what only a man can give plus what only a woman can provide. There is no other way. So family begins with a man and a woman. It wasn't that many years ago that was obvious to everybody. But today it needs to be said very clearly. Secondly, together then, this man and woman, they have and they raise a child. God's design is that mom and dad are married. We see that as the text moves on. And we'll look at it again. This whole passage is about marriage as well as family. But the design is that mom and dad are married and they stay together to raise their children together. And we know that's the plan because it says, it doesn't say that for this reason a man will leave his father or his mother. It says he will leave his father and his mother. They have been with him all this time and he has been with them all this time. Sadly, again, in our day, there are many voices like those articles I referenced at the beginning which celebrate the decline of the old traditional family where children are raised by two parents, their biological mother and biological father. And they celebrate the rise of other models. But they celebrate it because it's what they like and what they want to hear and what people think but they are misinformed and they lead many to miss on the miss out on the blessings of following through with God's design see whenever you violate the design of the creator of something you tend to get into trouble that works with your car it works with your computer it works with most things and so it works with us Sarah McLanahan, the, who's the editor of The Future of Children, which is a, a part of Princeton University, they publish a journal every two years. She stated, as they summarize all the latest research, she, she said, modern scholars agree that children raised by two biological parents in a stable marriage do better than children in other family forms across a wide range of outcomes. What she says is the experts, the studies, all the research, it agrees that no matter how you slice it, 
children raised by their biological parents in a stable marriage do better. Bradford Wilcox, who's a senior fellow at the Institute for Family Studies, summarized research with this. Children raised in intact married families are more likely to attend college. They are physically and emotionally healthier. They are less likely to be physically or sexually abused. They are less likely to use drugs or alcohol or to commit delinquent behaviors. They have a decreased risk of divorcing when they get married. They are less likely to become pregnant or impregnate someone as a teenager. And they are less likely to be raised in poverty. Virtually every study done of families has verified these realities. It's not a surprise to those of us who believe that there's a God who designed us who said this is what family looks like. God's model is the best for families and children. We move on. There's a couple more things I want us to notice about God's design for family. It begins with a man and a woman. Together they have and they raise a child. Thirdly, this child, in the case here in our, in our verse, it's a he, a son. He grows to independence. A man shall leave his father and mother. He doesn't live on their couch or in their basement playing video games for the next 50 years. He has reached maturity. He has become an adult. He is ready to live independently and to assume adult responsibilities. And so he has grown to independence. Then, fourthly, it says he gets married. He leaves father and mother and he holds fast to his wife. We'll talk more about marriage next week, but I want us to note this. The order is important here. Before he gets married, he has achieved maturity. That's important. He comes to marriage having already been prepared and ready to assume the responsibilities of caring for himself and caring for his wife. And I bring that up because there is a great tendency among young people, and I observed this with over 20 years of being a youth pastor and a, a decade of being a senior pastor, and uh, just 63, I think it's three, 63 years of life, I have noticed that young people have a tendency to get themselves involved and wrapped up in romantic relationships long before they are ready. I often said this to kids, and I still do when I get the opportunity. I say the farther that you are ready, the farther away you are from being ready to get married is the farther away you are from being ready to have a relationship with someone of the opposite sex, even the farther you are away from being ready to date. You know, so parents, what that means is, you know, your your kids aren't ready to date till they're like 27. You know, <laughs> especially your daughters. You know, or, no. It, the reality is that you need to, as young people, or you should save yourselves a lot of heartache, a lot of problems, a lot of temptations 
by not coupling up with anyone, by not getting into some kind of relationship until you're really close to being ready to get married. That's my advice as a dad. Now, fifth thing in this design for marriage. It's a man and a woman. Together they have and raise a child. This child grows to independence. He leaves father and mother, is joined to his wife. And then the text says the two become one flesh. We're going to talk next week. That little phrase can imply and mean a lot of different things. But one flesh finds in marriage its perhaps most vivid expression in the bringing forth of a new life into this world. When literally part of a father and part of a mother come together and produce someone who is unique and yet is very much part of each parent. The two become one flesh in that child. And what that means is, at this point, we have gone back to the beginning. It's repeated. Now you have a father and a mother and a child that they raise up to become independent who gets married and produces another child. And that is God's pattern for family. Right here in the second chapter of the Bible, God lays it out. And He intends that this is what we aim for and strive for as people and as families. Now, with that as the, as the pattern, as the design, let me draw out some, some implications for us as parents and, some, and as children. First, parents. Some parental responsibility. What is your, what is your job as a mom, as a dad? Our aim is to prepare our children to launch. Get them ready to go out and live on their own. I know there's a tendency among many parents when you get that cute little bundle of joy and you bring them home and you're just like, ah, hang on to them forever because they're so cute and they're so awesome. But our job is to prepare them to launch. How do we do that? Well, part of that means we get them ready to live on their own. They need life skills. They need some basic life skills like education and how to work and how to do their laundry and how to cook a meal, how to change the oil in the car and how to handle finances, you know, and those kinds of things. They need uh, character development. They need to learn honesty and integrity and faithfulness and self-discipline and self-control. So the Bible calls us to discipline our children, both positive and negative, in helping them learn character development. They need to learn relationship skills, how to care for others, how to defer to others as, as Philippians 2 calls for us, to consider others more important than ourselves, how to be servants to others. They need to learn how to communicate rightly and well and properly. All of those skills are significant and things that we need to do as parents. But above all of those, the thing that we are most to do as moms and dads is the, the single biggest command for parents in Scripture, repeated, the command repeated most often, 
We are to lead our children to know and to love and to obey God. It's summarized well in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where it says this. God is talking to the, to the people of Israel. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength or your, or your might. And He says, And these words that I command to you this, this day shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children. The greatest thing that our children need and the biggest command for us as parents is to instill into our children a knowledge of God, a love for God, and obedience to Him. By the way, when I read the Scriptures, dads, and if you read the Scriptures, what you notice is the bulk of the responsibility of that command falls upon us calls upon us to be leaders in our home who take the responsibility to ensure that our children know God, follow Him and love Him. So many dads are disconnected and are, uh, you know, they leave that to mom. calls for us as dads to take the lead in that. Just a freebie, a little word from a guy who's been there. You, you parents with young kids at home, I know there are those days where you, the biggest thought in your mind is just, will we ever get through this? <laughs> will this ever end? Because it is exhausting at times and so frustrating at times. Those of us who have gray hair and have been there, what we understand is that Suddenly one day you wake up and you realize the time is gone. If I could go back and do one thing differently, I would go back and I would be more intentional. That's my advice and my word to you parents, kids at home. Don't just react and just do whatever comes along, but... Look at what is it that our children need. If our children are supposed to know God and love God and follow Him, how do I instill that in my kids? If my kids need practical skills like how to budget and how to, you know, how to make their bed, you know, how am I going to instill that in them? What are the priorities? And how do we instill those in our children? Be intentional in your parenting. There's a second thing that I see here that is rather obvious, but I think it needs to be said in this day and time. And that is to have children if you can. I think it's implied in this passage. But I'm noting as I, as I read and I look around that there is a growing number of young Christian couples who are, are saying, you know what, we're not going to have children. And I think it's implied here. It certainly was a command back in chapter 1 to Adam and Eve, verse 28, where it says, to, where God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You go to Psalm 127. Psalm 127, verse 3 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Two verses later, verse 5, it says this, How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. 
I would say certainly if a couple is able to have children but chooses not to have them, they miss out on some of the blessings that God intends for them. And why would you do that? Those of us who have kids can tell you there are great blessings that come from having children. I'll just name two that have really struck me as I thought about this this week. One is the wonder of sharing in God's creative process. As through childbirth, God works through us to bring into existence an eternal soul. I remember being blown away by that, that Father's Day in 1981 when I held my daughter in my arms. I thought, wow. Here's an eternal soul. God gives us the blessing of sharing with Him in bringing someone into existence. That's a blessing. Another thing is this. Those who are parents have learned this. That parenting is a nonstop educational adventure. I can look back and say honestly that many of the greatest spiritual and practical lessons that I've learned in my life, I have learned through parenting. I've learned so much about how God views us as I deal with my own children. Those are two blessings why I would encourage those, and I think the Scripture calls for those of us who can, to have children. But what if, for whatever reason, you cannot have children of your own? When I encourage you, and that's some 10% of couples, as I understand it, I encourage you to recognize that for now, God has placed you in a unique position to serve Him in unique and wonderful ways, to be able to invest yourselves, your energy, your time, your passion, your gifts, your abilities, to invest yourselves in others. Maybe by coming alongside one of those couples, and there are many of them here in this church who, have, who are surrounded by all these little kids and, and uh, tell you what, they're exhausted <laughs> and they're, they struggle. And how they need some folks to come alongside and to encourage them and at times to help them. Maybe it's by adopting or foster parenting some child who is in some situation where they desperately need a family. Or maybe it's by being involved in serving in this church or in some ministry and there are scads of them who are aimed to nurture and to point children and young people to Jesus Christ. Parental responsibility. Now I move to the kids. Kids, you got responsibility in this too. The, what's your job? Well, your job is, your parents' job is to prepare you for launch. Your job is to prepare yourself for your launch. Aim for maturity. The number one command in Scripture to children is to honor or to obey your parents. Most of you know it's one of the Ten Commandments, number four in the Ten Commandments. Honor your parents. Jesus set 
a fantastic example for you here. I don't know if you know this, but after Jesus was born, we have a little scene in Luke chapter 2 when He was 12 years old. After that, the Scripture says virtually nothing about Jesus' life from the time He was 12 years old until the time He was 30. In fact, the Bible has only two verses that tell us anything about Jesus' life from the time He was 12 until the time He was 30. 18 years. All we know is this, Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says this, And he, that's Jesus, went down with them, that's his parents, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Jesus set the example. What did he do with his parents? He went home and he was submissive to them. He obeyed them. He honored them. I find that remarkable. How many of you... We've all been kids or are kids right now. How many of you struggled honoring your parents? There's a lot. Don't lie in church, okay? (laughs) You ever struggled with obeying your parents or honoring them? Yeah, it was. It was a struggle. I find it fantastically amazing that God, the Almighty God, the Creator of heavens and the earth, God, the Son, became a man. Born a baby and raised in a household with two imperfect parents. And he submitted himself to them. I understand, kids, it's hard to submit to and to obey and to honor your imperfect, flawed, messed up parents. My kids found that hard too. Jesus did that. He set an example for you. Second thing that I think that you need to do as as kids, besides honoring and obeying your parents, I find in the next verse, the only other verse that tells us about Jesus' life before between age 12 and age 30. It's the very next verse. And it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. What Jesus did... First, it says that he submitted, he honored his parents. And secondly, it says that he grew. And he grew in four areas. And may I say that as he grew in these four areas, it was not accidental. It was intentional. And I think what you, you guys need to be doing as kids is you need to be intentionally growing. You need to take every advantage that you can to aim for maturity. And Jesus gives four Areas of his life, or he gives four areas of Jesus' life where he grew. He grew in, it says, in wisdom. Growing in wisdom doesn't just mean growing in knowledge, it includes that. So you ought to be, you ought to study as hard as you can in school and let's learn as much as you can in school. Learn as much as you can out of school. Learn. God gave you a brain, use it. But don't just learn facts. More than that, it says he grew in wisdom. Wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom is understanding. Wisdom is good judgment. It's not just good judgment and understanding. It is godly understanding. Godly discernment. We get wisdom by studying the Word of God. Read the book of Proverbs. It's all about wisdom. Wisdom. Secondly, Jesus grew not only in wisdom, it says He grew in stature, which has to do with physical 
growth, that just happens naturally. I've tried, you know, holding my grandkids down, but they keep growing. Growth happens naturally, but he didn't just grow physically. I think it implies more than that. I think this growing in stature means growing and developing intentionally our physical capabilities. Growing intentionally our abilities and our talents and our skills. You are gifted with physical traits and physical abilities and you're gifted with talents and you're gifted with all these things. Use them, develop them, grow them. Thirdly, it says Jesus grew in favor with God. For us, that means, and you, it means you need to grow in your relationship with God, in your knowledge of Him, and in your obedience to Him. And then it says He grew in favor with man. He grew in, and, and we need to grow in relationships with other people. How do we relate well to adults and to kids and friends and, and to neighbors? How do we treat people well? Good four areas for you to concentrate on as you as kids aim to grow intentionally. One more thing I want to add to this. It's not in this in Jesus' example here, but this comes just out of my years of experience in working with teenagers for so many years. I I would say, if not the biggest, it is one of the biggest ways that you can negatively impact your life is through sexual immorality. And so the Scripture calls us and God calls us to sexual purity. Solomon warns his son in uh, Proverbs chapter 6. He says, He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. The Apostle Paul, writing to his young protege, a young guy named Timothy, he writes to him and he says, Flee youthful passions, while all the hormones are running hot and heavy, he says, don't be controlled by your hormones, but learn to control them. Do yourself a favor and learn to control them now. One of the things I have seen over the years is that bad habits die hard. Learn good habits while you're young. If you learn self-control while you're young, it's much easier even as you get older. Young folks, you've only got one life. Do yourself a favor and intentionally aim at these things. And I guarantee you won't regret it. Second responsibility, and this will be short, is simply this. Launch. It says, for this reason a man shall leave. When you reach adulthood, when you, when you reach maturity, step up. Assume adult responsibilities. Again, don't just live around in your parents' basement for the next 50 years acting like a kid. Become an adult. And as you're doing that, I would say live as a servant of God. All that's good. All these things. But we live in a, we live in a society where this kind of family, as we've said, it's a minority. And we live in reality very many of our families are not this ideal thing. For various reasons, our families aren't ideal. As I said, we live in a broken world. So what are we to do in this world with this truth? Let me suggest three ways I believe that we can have a lasting impact. The first, I would go back to something Pastor Aaron said last week. He said, 
Convictions only matter if they are lived out consistently. See, the reality is that people won't care what you and I have to say about family if they don't see the beauty of God's design fleshed out in our homes. Whatever your home situation is, whatever brokenness or whatever goodness has brought you to where you are as your family, your aim should be to live out to the best of your ability family as God designed. To be to the best of your ability the husband, the wife, the father, the mother, the child that God has called for us to be. We need to live, brothers and sisters, as godly men and women. Loving, peaceable, faithful. Secondly, I would again go back to something Pastor Aaron said last week. He said this, he said, conviction does not negate compassion. We are surrounded by broken people, broken families. There's a lot of hurting people. Most of them hurting because they or others have neglected or rejected God and His Word. From the earliest days of the church, the church has been known as people of grace, people of compassion. Those who reach out and minister to the hurting and the broken, those who are the victims of sin, the orphan, the abandoned, the outcast, the abused, the lonely. It's my prayer that today, in our day, the chapel of the lake, the believers in Christ here will still be famous for our compassion even as we stand firm in our convictions. Lastly, really goes to what we're focusing on all this month. And that is we are to be witnesses. To share the good news of Jesus Christ because ultimately the biggest need that people have is not a better family model or even better people in their family. The biggest need people have is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the grace, the transforming grace of Jesus Christ in the hearts of people who will receive Him and trust Him as their Savior has the power to marvelously change families and impact generations. By the way, if you're here this morning, you've never placed in your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to know He loves you so much. He wants to rescue you from the mess of sin and the punishment of sin and to transform you from the inside out. He loves you that much. And he invites you, even this morning, to trust Him as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for these truths. They are not what the culture around us is saying. But they are true. It is right. And there are great blessings that come along with listening to You. So Father, I pray we would do that. I would pray that not only would we do that, but that You in Your grace would so transform us and it would be so evident in our relationship with our husband, with our wife, with our children, in our family that others would notice. They would say, what is it with your family?
And we'd be able to say, it's Jesus. That they might come to know Him too. They might come to experience the grace that You give. So that end, Lord, we commit ourselves and we ask Your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.